today, I'm not the prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I want us to take a look into the uh, missional future a little bit to kind of see where the world's going and where we might, uh, what kind of, that it's going to affect our mission strategy for years to come. Uh, I've been kind of some study on this through the, you know, I Googled it. It's my, my daughter, if I ask her, I ask my daughter, how do you know that stuff? She says, Dad, I Google it. I'm like, okay. Anyway, so... Uh, Anyway, so I Google some of this stuff, but some of it's, I think, from re- reliable sources. But uh, I want to take a look at Tanzania and the greater world and how missions is shaping up, where the world's moving, what it's going to look like in the next 80 years. 80 years doesn't seem like that far away, but, you know, it was, you know, I've been a missionary for 23 years, and all of a sudden, you know, the year 2100, well, I won't live to see it, but, you know, maybe some people in this church will at some point. Anyway, let's... Uh, Dar es Salaam is growing. It's currently the second fastest growing city in the world. The first fastest growing city is in Western Africa. The African cities are growing by leaps and bounds. Oops. I got this new clicker, so I'm trying to figure it out a little bit. Okay. Chris encouraged me. By 2030, right now Dar es Salaam has about 6.3 million people in the urban area. By 2030, Dar es Salaam is expected to have more 10 million people. So we're at 6 million. That means in about the next 10 years, we'll almost double again the population, which is terrifying. The traffic is horrendous now. I can't imagine what it's going to be when we add 4, more, four million more people into that city. Okay. Quick. Uh, when we were young missionaries and studying missions, they're always going like, don't bring your American culture into the mission field. Make sure you build a, a church. It's like the culture that you're in. The problem is now that Tanzania and other, other countries around the world, they are being influenced by the West and they want that type of thing. So right now we have, you know, in Dar es Salaam, we have, we have KFC. We first came to Dar es Salaam, we had nothing. We have KFC, Subway. We have AMC movie theaters. Watching Their kids are watching Black Panther. A pizza. We can have Pizza Hut delivered to our house now. Uh, YouTube. You know, all the kids, they all have smartphones. They're watching YouTube videos of American Christian music. So now they want American Christian music in the church, things like that. So it's, you know, all of a sudden what we're told not to bring in, they're wanting to bring in to their culture. And we have malls and, you know, you have because of the uh, smartphones, you have internet basically available to about in, almost everyone. Now, this is where, pay close attention. I'm going to back up a little bit. If you notice, this is the, this is the 2025 top 20 cities by population. These are projections. This is where the prophecy comes in. Okay. So if you look now, this is 2025. Of course, you have in North America, three biggest cities, New York, Los Angeles, Mexico, uh, South America, Sao Paulo, Rio, Buenos Aires. And Africa only has two largest cities in Lagos and Kinshasa. And then, of course, you India starting to have a lot of the bigger cities and Tokyo being the biggest city over here in the Far East. Okay, 2025. 2050. Watch how things change. These are projections based on birth rate and death and things like that. Um, okay, so New York, North America is still the th- same three cities. 
But all of a sudden, South America, there's only one city in the top 20 cities or so. All of a sudden, look at India, Mumbai, uh, China, uh, China, and these cities, Karachi, they're all beginning to explode in population. And now look, Dar es Salaam's on the map. It's starting to appear as one of the top cities in the world. Okay, let's jump to 2075. All of a sudden, there's nothing in South America. New York City's still on the map. Mexico City's still on the map. What do you see? Where are the population centers starting to explode? India and Africa. All of a sudden, Tokyo is a smaller circle. Manila's still on the map. But now look at this. 2075, the three biggest cities are Lagos, Kinshasa, Dar es Salaam, Nairobi. What do you think that What do you think that means for missions? Does anybody have any ideas? Question. Yeah. Why do you think they're growing so much faster? What's causing it? It's fertility rates. Oh. It's basically that the Africa these these countries are birthing more children than the Western cultures. And you notice there are no. There's nothing in Europe, which, you know, historically, you go back, you know, a couple hundred years, whatever, that was where the population centers were. London, you notice London's not even on the map, any, never was on the map. Nothing in China. Nothing in China. Some of that China has caused their own problems because they've only had one child. And now they're ultimately going to pay a price for that because they need those children to be engineers and, and scientists and all that. Okay. 2100. The world has changed. We're the biggest cities in the world in 2100. The three biggest cities are Lagos, Kinshasa, and Dar es Salaam. Then, of course, India, Manila is still on the map. What do you, th- what do you think that means for missions? Though? What's your thoughts? Any ideas? You're thinking, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> this is a good point. Because now if you have these, uh, all the, if majority of the populations here, India and Africa, it may be that these countries will start sending out missionaries to North America, South America, Australia, China, Europe. Okay. The future of Dar es Salaam by 2100. Dar es Salaam is predicted to be the third largest city in the world at 73 million people. They're projecting that these cities become mega cities with seven, you know, 70, 80 million people. They're not even sure if it's a possibility for cities to grow that big and survive, but that's that's the projection. How many square miles makes up Dar es it would be smaller than the area of Kansas City. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Come drive one day in our traffic. You'll understand. It's <laughs> 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 coming quite clear. Of the, you know, we have a very pedestrian society, so people don't live very far from things. So, you, you know, as I drive through Kansas City, I see these big open fields in the city, you know, these big uh, uh, wide, um, um, mar- uh, not margins, the place in the middle of the, the medians. 
medians in the highways. We have none of that. It's, everything's built on top, top of itself, and it's all just crammed. Okay, a couple of... There, there's, just, there's so much in this when you think about it. I'm trying to kind of condense it down to a few things. But uh, 2040, Africa will have the second biggest Muslim population in the world. By 2060, Tanzania will have the seventh largest Christian population in the world. Now, keep in mind, these are this is Christianity in general. This is not what we say evangelical Christianity. This is this is a, the big the big heap: uh, Catholics, Lutherans, Baptists, whole, a, a whole lot of us. Okay. So, but in that, about a third of Tanzania is Muslim. So, while it's going to have the seventh largest Christian population, it's also going to have a massive Muslim population as well. And by, this is really key. By 2060, four out of ten, or 40% of the world we live in, or the Christians in the world, will live in sub-Saharan Africa. So, let me back, let me back up a couple of, I think I can do this. So, by... <coughs> By 2060, 40% of the world's Christians will live from, from right here down. Do you know what the reasons for that? Um, again, it's fertility rate, and they're, they're projecting as, um, you know, it's Christianity in general. It doesn't mean there's large, large mass evangelism. If you're in Dar es Salaam, if you say, are you a Christian? They'll say, no, I'm a Muslim. If you're a, if you're, are you a, what's your, where do you pray? They'll say, where do you pray? They'll say they're at the mosque or at church. So it means you, get, you have to be a Christian or a Muslim in Dar es Salaam. You don't get much in between. There's some Hindu there, but not a lot in between. Okay. Other questions? Let me bump up again. Okay. So what does that mean? We already touched on it a little bit that if 40% of the world's Christians live in sub-Saharan Africa... That means that ultimately, that's where your Christianity is going to have its foundation, where it's going to get kind of its doctrinal teaching, its dogma. Okay, it also means that's where the missionaries are ultimately going to come from, because you know the West is getting less and less Christian, isn't it? We know that from the U.S. here. And just as a side note here. While you see that large Christian population in Tanzania, seven, uh, seventh largest in the world, only about 2060, you still have, this, this is a sampling, but you still have a lot of unreached people groups in Tanzania. These tribes here, uh, 1% Christian, half percent Christian. Here's even a couple of tribes that are the Somalis, Shirazi, that are 0% Christians in Tanzania, while it has a large Christian population. Okay, the other half. A lot, the, most of the time when we talk about the Great Commission, evangelism, missions, we talk about the first half. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You have to have the first part. A lot of times as missions, we neglect the second part. Right. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. 
thing is, if you don't do the second part well, what you did, what you did in the first part won't last. The second part builds the foundation for the first part to stand on. How are we doing that? Think about America back when we first got started. What's the first thing? What's some of the first things the founding fathers did? They built theological institutions, Harvard, places like this. That was the that was the teaching ground for Christianity at the time. It's not now, but it was then. Then we go to that two 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 principle, Second Timothy two two. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, First of all, any any thoughts so far before I move on? This is a quote by a man named Conrad Mbewe, which they call the Spurgeon of Africa. He lives in Lusaka, uh, Zambia. Has a Baptist church there. Uh, really sharp guy. If you want to, you can you can Google him. Listen to some of his teaching. He actually spoke at John MacArthur's Strange Fire concert, a concert conference, and uh, amazing job. And uh, anyway, he, he's really great to listen to. And this is a quote from him: "Prosperity teaching has replaced the true gospel in Africa." So my point here is. If we don't build solid foundations in places like Africa for theological teaching, for good dogma, you're going to end up with a Christianity that's a mess. Yeah. It already is. A little, I mean, we have in in Dar es Salaam, we already have people selling holy water. Uh, people, every the the main. Uh, if you're going to advertise your church, make sure you put out there that you do miracles on the sign. You know, you have to do miracles, you have to pray for healings and, and all these things. That's what draws people in. They like the the mysticism of that in Africa. Okay, but this guy Conrad Bailey says that's the it's a it's a problem. It's gonna it's gonna ruin ruin Africa. Um, anyway, thoughts, questions so far. then what is the theological need? What do we need to do to change this? We have on the outside of our church, because I knew everybody else is advertising miracles, we have on the outside of our church, what does the Bible say? And it's amazing, we have people from like kind of more Pentecostal backgrounds that are, that are, um, that are been to churches that are very hyped up, Screaming, yelling. I mean, it's, some of the stuff's crazy. And uh, they're going like, we really appreciate your church because you really teach the Bible. We have a church across the street from our house. It started out being a Seventh-day Adventist church. But they weren't getting a lot of traction. So they switched to Pentecostal. It started doing miracles and all kinds of crazy things. And, and they're casting out demons. They're like, you can hear them. You can, I mean, they have like these huge speakers too. That's the one thing our church doesn't have is really good speakers. We're, we're outdone by the speaker in the speaker war. <laughs> I'm serious. Some of these guys, they have huge speakers in like Sundays. Sunday, and, these, and these guys in Tanzania church, they're kind of like, uh, we got the Baptist were years ago in America. It's like they have services every night. There's something going on every night and they're casting out demons or something. So you can hear them, them 
across the street, blah, 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 and Jesus thing, da, 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 da. they're going like crazy. You're going, like, what in the world is happening? It sounds like a, sounds like witchcraft or something. In fact, Conrad and Bayway, the guy just quoted there, he has this whole thing. It says, are we, are pastors, are we witch doctors or are we pastors? And he takes and he goes through the African witch doctor, compares them to basically kind of a Pentecostal pastor, does all this. And he says, see, they're the same. <laughs> and then he says, in the end, what they both want? Money. <laughs> so the point is, is that how do we, if 40% of the world's Christian population is going to be in Africa one day, and they're going to be the ones that's going to be promoting Christianity and sending out missionaries. What do we need? How do we help Africa now? How do we help Tanzania now to be uh, to avoid that problem? Okay, so obviously we need more Bible-centered churches. So we're pushing that, and I realize a lot of the reasons some of the pastors go to the prosperity theology. That's that's what they're that's what they've been taught. One of the issues now in Tanzania is because it becomes such a problem with all the miracles and fake miracles and people coming to the churches hoping to get healed and not get, they're not getting healed is that the governments require all churches that are registered, have uh, you know, legally registered, that their pastor has to have some kind of proper theological education, which helps us. Because now if we provide that, we can actually be a theological learning center for more than just our pastors, but for other pastors outside our our group. Uh, Bible colleges, uh, most of the time as missionaries, uh, we have some kind of Bible college that's um, within our church, kind of local. And I think we have to start thinking bigger and having some proper Bible colleges where you might bring in, you know, more uh, other pastors. Maybe maybe even some liberal arts Bible colleges, uh, ministry training centers. This this is a Bible training center for pastors is a, is a program that we that we started um, about five years ago, and basically a a pastor from the U.S. would go to Kenya, Mombasa, and teach once a year. And so when he finished teaching one year, he says, so who's coming to teach next? Like he expected like, you know, once a month, once a week, they had somebody to come in and teach. They said, well, they said, well, when are you coming back? He realized the only teaching they were getting was when he came to teach them. So there's not a lot of opportunity for that, that education. So he went home. His name is Dennis Mock, and he's a Dallas grad, and he's a member of First Baptist Church Atlanta. And he went home, and he put 10 books together, that are basically new, uh, hermeneutics, uh, New Testament, Old Testament survey, homiletics, Bible doctrine, church history, some other books, 10 books total. Made it like an, almost like an associate's degree, what you might, what you might get in the U.S. here. And he, and he published that. And uh, now it's in, like, it's in like 30 languages now. So it was a blessing for us to have that in Swahili because there's nothing like that in Swahili. And so we've been taking our men through that. And that's, and that's kind of where my heart is now. Uh, we've been taking, um, we had our first graduation, we had six graduates. Then we had like six or seven last graduation. We'll have like mm-hmm. 10 or 12 graduate in April. It's been such a blessing to our men because now they, when they have this prosperity teaching going around, 
They don't come to us and say, well, what, is, what, what, what do you think about that? They already know. They, they've studied the Scriptures. They understand all the Bible doctrines. And they're able to discover this themselves and realize what's right and what's wrong. So one of our young men, uh, Freddie, I showed him a, a video during the week. Uh, you know, he started, it, he started it, um, at the Manna Feeding Center. He's about, I don't know, 9 or 10 years old. He's a mischievous boy. He always had this look in his eye like, what have you just done? And I think, you know, it's like, it's funny. When he was uh, about 10 or 11, he convinced us he was 13 so he could go to youth camp. So, uh, and all the other kids are going, he's not 13. I'm going, but he says he is. <laughs> anyway, so he grew up, he got saved. He was a street kid. He got saved at the, at the feeding center and started coming to church, memorizing scripture. He's a, he's a memory, he's a machine to quote scripture now. And he, now he leads the youth. And he also does our, we have a Rawlings uh, youth camp in another city. And he teaches, he'll preach to the, a gospel to Muslims and Christians alike there at like 500 youth at a time. And it was not uncommon to have 150 or 200 youth come forward during those camps to receive Christ after Freddie speaks. Solid. Uh, Freddie's kind of, you know, he, he's, a, he's a rapper too, okay? <laughs> the funny thing is he's like, he knows he can't sing, so he raps. <laughs> Maybe I should try that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so he's all into the Christian music scene and all that. And so while Darslan has this big prosperity theology kind of infestation, he's able to look at the songs they sing and say, Pastor, see that song there? That's prosperity theology all over it. And so he's able to discern that and also trying to create music for the youth to listen to that's not that way, that's more biblically based. So uh, he, he's, he, he's uh, really tapped into, into that culture. Anyway, he graduated from the, the Bible Training Center for Pastors. I asked him, I said, what's your favorite book? He said, the Old, Te- Old Testament survey was my favorite book. I said, why? Because he said, Pastor, help me understand how the whole Bible fits together. And so they're learning a lot and it's moving forward. And uh, even the, the other, we have older pastors that have come, come to the program. And one of the wives said, I asked her, I've known her since we came to Tanzania, I said, Mama Msumi, how's Ernesti? How's his preaching since he went through the, Bob, the BTCP program? She says, it's much better now. So, so, <laughs> so I'm going, what was it like before that? Uh, anyway, so it's created depth. And we see our pastors, instead of just preaching on typically Tanzanian pastors, pastors, very topically oriented, not exegetically, exegetical oriented. And they're just kind of all over the place, picking verses here and there and, and building some, some kind of sermon out of it. Uh, now we see them as they're growing. They're starting to preach more exegetically through the scriptures. And they, you know what they say? It's easier because I know what I'm going to preach the next week. I know what the topic's about. I'm able to walk right through that passage. So it's been a, that's been a blessing. Uh, others are excited about church history. You know, I was mentioning this the other night when church history, when I took it, I was excited about it till you know, the first test and I wasn't so excited about it anymore. And, and uh, anyway, so I, when it came to church, teaching church history, we, and we usually, these books, we'll divide them up. There's like three main teachers. Then we'll bring in teachers from the outside too. We have a, we have a Scottish friend that's very fluent in Swahili, believes like we do. We'll fly him in and teach a book. We have uh, teachers in Mombasa, Kenya that will come down and teach books. We give the, the guys a variety of teachers. So anyway, so I got given the, the, uh, the Reformation period. That was my teaching job. So it was cool because I'm, as we teach to the Reformation, 
And we get to about the indulgences. When it talks about the guys back in that time period, they were selling holy water, pieces of the cross, pieces of you know, Peter's robe or whatever, all kinds of crazy things. And I'm going like, do you ever see that today? And they're going, Pastor, that's like the church here in Tanzania now. I said, yes, it is. I said, so, and what was Luther's solution to that? Well, it was sola scriptura. It was, what does the Bible say? So you all, it teaches them to always come back to the Bible. Church history also taught them their roots. Now, they'd had missionaries come to their country for years, 150 years or more, without really understanding how Christianity itself, the path it took kind of from the cross all the way down to Tanzania. So we start working through that, how the Portuguese came and the, the Germans came and then how everybody came. It like helps them understand their, their roots, their t- church history in that way. So uh, we're, one of the goals is I back, as I pull out of being pastor of the church that I pastored there for 15 years, is to focus more on the Bible Training Center for Pastors and developing a stronger theological uh, education for the pastors there in Tanzania. Okay. Translation of theological literature. Uh, we went to a bookstore on was it Thursday, Thursday I think. The thousands of books in this bookstore. I mean, we have at our fingertips any topic, any commentary we can go and buy. They have hardly anything translated into Swahili. There's a like Pilgrim's Progress is translated to Swahili. There's like there's a handful, literally a handful, of books that are translated in the Swahili for them to read. So we well, we get a lot of our thoughts and our encouragements from from uh, reading books. They don't have that. Here's the big one. How many of you ever heard of an African theologian? They're non-existent. We need typically the Africans look to Europe or the U.S. Something that we've written about theology to get their theology. It'll be such a blessing one day when we have African theologians writing these books about theology, systematic theology, whatever. Okay. Questions? Okay. Let's look at scriptures just a second. Look at Acts 14, 21 to 23. As I mentioned, a lot of times when we talk about the Great Commission and missions, we focus on evangelism, winning the lost, which is, we have to do that. That's, that's a given. I think we've, we've emphasized that a lot. We should keep doing it. We have to do it. But if we really look from Acts 13 to Acts 20, which is actually, that's really Paul's mission work during the, those seven chapters, eight chapters, You'll see that he constantly, after he found believers in these various cities, that he would go back and teach them again to strengthen their foundation. So, Acts 14, 21-23. Uh, let me read it quickly for you. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they 
returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, where they had already had disciples. And what were they doing? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every city, every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What do you see with Paul? He's evangelizing, making disciples. Then he's coming back to teach them and strengthen them, make sure that they really got what they what he taught them the first time. Uh, this is if you don't build strong foundations in your disciples, they'll be easily taken in by false teachers, and we see that so much in Africa. There's the radio programs. There's a, there's a, there's just all kinds of craziness. I mean, people guaranteeing miracles and and what else, Beth? There's other crazy stuff going on. <laughs> What's that? The television stations. Television stations. We have it all. But all. And so they're promising them things. And so it's you know when you start promising poor people, if you come to my church uh, and you believe, you'll get rich. So here's okay. Here's one. We have this Pentecostal female pastor, Mama Katale. And so here's one of the things. You go into her church and she'll say, all right. Remember, we people typically don't have cars. She says, all right, put your hand up like this. By faith believing, start your car. And so the idea is that if you just have enough faith, you can get yourself a car too. That's, that's, that's the emphasis. It's about having things and money. And, and that's the kind of theology that you're getting uh, currently. Uh, Acts 16, 1 to 5. Uh, this is he's already been in these cities then he came to Derby and Lystra and behold a certain disciple there was there named Timothy the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed but his father was a Greek he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium Paul wanted to have him go on with them and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in that region so they all knew that his father was Greek and as they went through the cities they delivered to them the decrees to keep to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So again, what's Paul doing? He's already done evangelism in these cities. Now what's he doing? He's coming back to the cities to strengthen them and to build them up. And that's what we want to do in like Africa and South America, wherever. It's like we want to uh, look at these things and build them up and, re- and strengthen them. Uh, Acts fifteen thirty five. Let's look back a little bit. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of God with many others also. Acts 18, 11, Paul stays in Corinth for a year and a half teaching. Titus 1, 5, he's in Crete. I'm sorry, in Titus 1, 5, Paul commands uh, Titus to go and appoint elders in every city so that he would have, as he says, to strengthen them or teach them and appoint elders in every city. This is a recurrent theme. A lot of times it's lost in missions because we, we focus so much on the evangelism part, which you have to have. I'm not diminishing that at all, that we forget the second half. And what's going to happen? Let me back us up here.
I don't think anyone in this room will be around in 2100. Maybe. Uh, it's not that, 80 years is not that far away. I mean, in the big picture. What's Christianity? If the majority of your Christians live in this area of the world in 2100, they're going to be the Christians that are going to be setting the stage and be the driving force behind Christianity. What will it look like? If we don't think to the future, plan ahead, to be thinking about we need to start building now theological institutions, uh, ways to help the churches to be more productive, have sounder doctrine, instead of waiting until um, it's a, until 2100, we have nothing. Okay, so help me out here. So we also have, what's this going to look like here? It's going to be very Hindu and very Muslim. Unless we start doing more evangelism even there now. Okay. Questions? Thoughts? Comments? Confusion? <laughs> You're on the right track. <laughs> mm-hmm. Typically, we, we tend to sp- respond after the fact. Why not respond ahead of things? Why not plan ahead? I mean, in my thoughts, as I'm going through all this, is that we need to be like purchasing land now in Dar es Salaam for future churches land that's outside the popular areas of the city now because it's going to it's going to grow it's going to grow there maybe land for a, a seminary to be built something like that because if you wait till 2100 and go like, oh man we need a seminary now yeah good luck with that Kinshasa and Lagos Nigeria about half the population there is is Muslim as well Training centers for Muslim. I'm, trying, I'm sorry. Training centers for missionaries in Dar es Salaam because one day we may be sending missionaries to to uh, to uh, Dominican Republic someday. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, come on. Huh? Need some help. <laughs> okay. Any questions? I thought you got. Mm. About 14 years ago, persecution was for you where it was very bad. Let's put it that way. How is it now? Uh, we don't have a lot of like overt persecution in Tanzania, in Tanzania and Dar because the city's about half and half, half Muslim, half Christian. They've learned to get along with each other to some to some degree. And Tanzanians are kind of passive anyway, so it's like they don't they're not so aggressive. Like if you go like Kenya, Kenyans are more. We have this thing is like the the Ugandans are very prideful, the Kenyans are very powerful, and the Tanzanians are very passive. And so we don't get a lot of that. But the, if you if you're a Muslim, you become a Christian, then your family can ostracize you. Or that. there's a lot of um, just for example, in the southern we were down in the in the Salu Game Reserve. And there's a village right next to where we had camped, and uh, it was from the uh, the Dengareko tribe, and they're like 98, 99 percent Muslim, but they have they're folk they're folk Muslims, which means. The missionary that was down there was telling us that they have 
actual tribal uh, dances or, or meetings, or whatever, where they are actually worshiping the devil. So they say they're Muslim, but they're dressing in black and actually worshiping the devil in their in their tribal uh, ceremonies. So you have you have that. You have also uh, in contrast to that, you do have some good churches in Dar es Salaam that are teaching preaching the gospel, preaching the word. One thing we struggle with is finding Tanzanians to have a burden to go reach their own. They like the idea of the foreign missionary going into it. <laughs> so we're trying to prod them out of their comfort zone and to do that. Tension, maybe. <laughs> so I, I picture myself that they become missionaries, they're growing, and our countries are growing less Christians right now. Mm-hmm. When they come, they will never get it. White people does not get along so well. It's going to be a big friction, it's going to be a war. Yeah. And they have to be very strong. And three hours to help them, they do what they want. Mm-hmm. It's true. I think some of that helps with kind of the globalization of the world. People are a little more used to each other. And they're not so, those racial lines aren't as bad as they have been in the past. But certainly that's a, something to think about. No one else? Hmm? Rich? Uh, not in large droves, no. Okay. They're hard. I mean, yeah. the bottom line is that they're hard. As we all know, it's like it's part of their culture, it's part of their family. So when you want somebody to become a Christian, then you're asking, you're telling, you're going to leave your family now and all your social relationships. That's a, it's a, you have to, you know, leave your father and mother and kind of thing. So we have uh, the lady that's going to be a, the uh, the pastor's wife. Is the pastor's wife? Her name's Nama Ringo. Her First name was Wanaishi. I think it was Wanaishi. She's a, uh, she was a Muslim. She was one of our first converts. And uh, her family was all Muslim, except for one brother. One brother came to Christ. And so uh, she came to Christ. But because she was already, in, she was already away from her family, and her, her husband wasn't anything really. So I led him to the Lord too. So she didn't have, have that kind of uh, ostracization that normal ones would have. But when, his, when her brother got saved... Supposedly, her father and her brother went and beat him uh, after he got saved. Uh, but she led, she was able to lead her mother to the Lord in her death on her deathbed. And her uh, her other sister, who was a Muslim, uh, she had AIDS and she was dying. And they witnessed to her time and time again. And she hadn't come to Christ, so she said, "They said, Pastor, you come witness to her." So I went down and and I just you know when somebody's they're all like skin and bones. They don't have very much very long to live. You kind of go for the juggler. So I went to John one one, you know, and kind of like this is who Jesus is. He's the world. He is God. Da, da, da. And uh, and she accepted Christ that day. 
And the, fun, the great thing about it was uh, after she accepted Christ, she's telling everybody. She says, praise the Lord. I'm a Christian now and everything. She's, and her husband, who is a Muslim, he's passing there. She says, I'm a Christian now. Whatever, I forgot her husband's name. He's going, yeah, whatever. <laughs> he squawks on back. But it was exciting to see that happen in their life. So she's, because of that one lady and our church has gotten saved, it has affected other people in her family getting saved. And ultimately, you know, sometimes as missionaries, you think, I've got to go lead these Muslims to Christ. The best thing I can do is train people in our church to lead Muslims to Christ because they automatically understand their culture, know all the hidden dynamics that I wouldn't get. And uh, that's the, that we see that now. We see them witnessing to their friends. Yeah. Okay, Chris, my time's up. All right. Let's have a word of prayer. Why don't you pray for us? Yeah, sure. Let's pray. Our dear most gracious Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this group of people that have come out this morning. I pray that you will uh, just bless them, Father. I pray that you'll give us a vision, not for just now, but for the future of missions. Help us prepare and be ready for the harvest that you already planned that's to come, uh, if you do not come before that. Father, I pray that you'll just give us, renew our spirits and our commitment and a fire inside us to promote the name of Jesus all over the world. Help us to be good stewards of what you've given us. And Father, help us as we not only lead people to Christ, but we build up uh, men, women, young people that are strong in their faith and know the Word of God. They'll be able to fight off Satan when he comes with his lies. Father, we thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.